Welcome to No Middle Madness, a podcast about Texas Tech basketball. This is episode 13. We are coming to you after Texas Tech lost to Arkansas in the round of 32. We're a few days removed from that now. Just kind of gave ourselves a breather to watch some basketball and also let everything process. Um, But still, the game is pretty fresh on our minds as it was a little bit of a heartbreaker. But seasons can't last forever. Um, It was a good one by Texas Tech, a fun one to watch, a fun one to cover, and a fun one to be a fan, but some really good basketball we got to watch being played, Um, obviously ended in heartbreaking fashion, but it is what it is. Today, I'm joined by Emery Lida, as always. Emery, how are you doing today? How are you feeling a few days removed from the season coming to an end? Man, it's still a heartbreaker. I think the biggest thing is knowing that I'm not going to be able to see this particular team play again because this was one of the most fun teams to cover for tech in my opinion i mean you're so many guys that had great stories that were really great intriguing guys to watch a lot of interesting things and obviously you don't know what's going to come next year you don't know who's staying who's going and i think kind of the fashion of knowing that the team was so close and especially against arkansas arkansas is a really good team we had it as a coin flip going into the game And just knowing that that game happened so soon in the tournament, but the actual intensity of it was so high. I mean, it felt like it was an Elite Eight-style game to go to the Final Four. And you sit back and you look at the end of the season, and it's just around a 32 game. And, I mean, I think this team as a whole was a lot of fun to watch this year, and I'm excited to kind of start breaking it down in the offseason. But, man, I mean, the heartbreak of just having it right there and not being able to advance the Sweet 16 is still pretty prevalent. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned it was an entertaining watch. I mean, I follow a lot of people on Twitter that aren't specifically Texas Tech fans, and a lot of people were saying that this was one of the more entertaining games that they had seen in the tournament. And I, I have to agree. I think it was really close. Um, we'll just go ahead and dive right, right in. I mean, Texas Tech lost the game 66 to 68. Um, you know, they didn't get that that layup on the final on the final play. Um, a few people wanted to argue that there should have been a timeout there. But it is what it is. That's not the way Chris Beard runs his offense. Um, also probably could have been a foul called on Kyler Edwards and a couple of others down the stretch. Um, but, I mean, you miss a couple of, uh, just short on the rim, miss a couple of layups, and, you know, that's, that's how your season ends at times. Um, obviously some heartbreaking, some heartbreaking variants. Um, it felt like Tech had played the game really, really close um, throughout the first, really like the entire game. Um, they played a lot better defense than I expected. I had this final score seventy nine to seventy six, I believe, um, and that that wouldn't have been like an unrealistic prediction. I mean, that's the way that Arkansas has been forcing teams to play um, against them. But I mean, Tech just played really well in this one. They controlled the pace, and then whenever Arkansas wanted to go for punch for punch, Tech was able to keep up. Um, so I was really impressed by how Tech played in this game. Um, Emery, I'm curious to hear, did this game play out how you expected or was a little bit different than your initial prediction whenever we recorded ahead of time? Well, I actually believe I ended up coming close to getting the final score for Arkansas, right? If I remember correctly, I had it at around a 74 to 68 type of game with Tech winning. And I had seen the LSU game where Tech was able to effectively control the pace and limited to about 68 possessions. And in this one, there were only 68 possessions. 
Now, there were times where the game kind of turned into a bit more of an up and down track track meet style of game, but a lot of it, Tech was able to play at their pace, which really kind of, I mean, it was a good thing because it meant that the offense wasn't being rushed and the defense, the half-court defense that Tech was able to play, in my opinion, was some of the best defense they played throughout the year. I mean, you held Arkansas to four of 17 from three. Their mid-range shooting wasn't great either. And I think, I mean, on the defensive end, I think you could pretty much live with what ended up happening, which was Arkansas had a few guys that made some tough shots because that's kind of who they are. Guys like Moses Moody and Smith are two very talented players. I think you can live with the result of that. I think offensively for Tech, I mean, throughout the year, there were just points that maybe Tech kind of fell out of rhythm. I mean, obviously you had the two-point shooting in this game was pretty awful to kind of put it mildly. I mean, they only shot 12 of 41 inside the three-point line. And I feel like if there's one thing you can point at that kind of didn't go to plan, it was Tech's inability to finish inside and be able to get the mid-range going. And I just think at the end of the day, I mean, you're talking about such fine margins in the NCAA tournament. I don't think Tech minutes when Tech got down 13 or so but I think that was again just kind of falling out of rhythm and sometimes that happens in games you have possessions after possessions that kind of snowball but I mean I mean you can't question the toughness of the team being able to fight back and I feel like even though obviously it's the end of the season it's incredibly disheartening to see the result it is something where you can build on and be confident that the culture of Tech being able to perform in tournaments and really put up good fights is still there. Yeah, it was a gritty game. And I mean, like you said, it was a battle inside. Um, at points of this one, I mean, Tech shot 10 of 20 from downtown. That's pretty absurd when you think about it. And they hold a team like Arkansas, who has just been potent from behind the arc this season, of just 4 of 17 from deep. So obviously they controlled the perimeter really well. I mean, they they crashed the offensive glass uh, well. They did that well as um, too. They had 13 second chance points in this game. I mean, that was really big for them to keep getting those extra possessions, especially considering there were times where Arkansas was doing that as well. And I think that's an area that they could have maybe played a little bit better in. It's just making sure that they bounding a little bit more but I mean it is what it is especially with a team that has as many like big wing rebounding guys that Arkansas does and this might have been the most complete game that I've seen the starting five play all season I mean tech I mean tech they put Terrence Shandon back in there so maybe not like your your classic starting five but I mean you had Edwards McClung Shannon and McCuller all play about 35 minutes um, and they just, they balled, man. They all played really good games, in my opinion. Maybe not McClung, um, struggled a little bit. He was just two of six from the field. Um, but, I mean, Kyler, he did really good on the glass, had some good passes and knocked down some big shots early in the game. Kevin McCuller, man, that guy is just built for March. It's it's so obvious how good of a player he's going to be um, in the event that he does return next season or if he does decide to go to the NBA. We don't know that yet. Then I also think Tech just played really good defense on on Moses Moody. I mean, at times his shot taking did take over, but I mean, you live with that whenever you have a guy that's as potent as a shot maker as he is. But I mean, even with all those good things, I mean, I just think you needed a little bit more consistency outside of the starting five. 
Tech had six bench points in this game, and all of them were from uh, Chibuzo Agbo. He knocked down two big shots um, whenever Arkansas had clearly looked at the stat sheet and said, hey, this guy is a 28% three-point shooter. Uh, I'm not going to defend him on the arc, and he knocked down two big shots. He he completely swung the game in Tech's favor. In my opinion, maybe the biggest minutes of his career, well, definitely the biggest minutes of his career, even if it didn't result in a win. Um, I thought he played really well in this one. And then, I mean, just, again, that second chance points. I think Arkansas had 10. Um, it just felt like Tech was getting killed at times in that area. But, Emery, is there anything else you want to touch on from this game, good or bad, that you think Tech was able to do? Yeah, I mean, I will say there was a point in the PV or McCuller or Shannon on the wings and Santos Silva inside. It just didn't seem to work out. And, I mean, that was making life miserable on drives. I think, for me, bringing Chibuzo Agbo into the game really kind of changed the complexion of text offense for me. I mean, they went from running really what seemed like a packed paint to almost like a five-out style of system, which we'd kind of been looking for all year. And it really kind of manifested itself. And I feel like it gave us a good indication of what Agbo is capable of in terms of setting screens and being able to move effectively off the ball. And that's just some of the value that he brings. It doesn't necessarily show up on the stat sheet. I mean, you look at some of the shot qual- the quality of shots that happened when he was in the game. I mean, really, some of it might have been by design in Arkansas not covering him, which, again, I think was kind of a mistake, and it kind of played out that way. But he opportunities because of Agbo's ability to set screens, also be a threat from the perimeter, and move well without the ball. And I think defensively, they were able to get away with those minutes, largely because you had such good kind of mobility and versatility on the on the floor. And I think that that's something that down the line, it might not even be the same personnel. Obviously, we don't know about if TJ Shannon or Kevin McCole or Kyler Edwards or Mac McClung is going to return next year. But you do know that kind of in general, those small ball lineups really allow for good switching to happen. And against the Arkansas team, I think it worked out pretty well. And I mean, obviously, you couldn't close the game. You couldn't. Just kind of having the inability to finish at the rim. And obviously, you had the two missed layups at the end of the game. I still think at least one of them should have been a foul, probably the TJ one. but. I mean, you can't really do much about that at this point. Um, those are frustrating. And I do think that something to focus on the in the offseason is kind of figuring out ways to put more pressure on the opponent's rim and be able to finish there more effectively. But yeah, I mean, I think that's about it in terms of what I saw from this game. And obviously, I know that you kind of reiterated a lot of my points re Agbo and just about how that kind of changed the game. But I do think that it's worth noting that Arkansas General was a really good team throughout the year. They had two really good players in this game, in in Moses Moody and Justin Smith, and both of them played exceptionally well. And when that happens, it's just hard to kind of win those close games. So it is what it is. And I think Tech certainly didn't embarrass themselves by any means in this game. It was close all the way down to the wire. As Chris Spears said, they played it to the bone, and I think that's certainly accurate. And, I mean, I'm excited to see kind of how Tech goes from here coming into the next season. Yeah, obviously it was a tough way to 
close a chapter and to move on. But I mean, it is what it is. I like what you said. I mean, in no way was Tech was embarrassed. This was a team that had been getting harped on by its fan base the entire season about how its offense had been playing. And I mean, they they played against one of the most potent offensive teams in the nation and they made it their game. So I was really impressed with it. I mean, there's going to be a lot of lessons learned from this game that I think guys are going to carry with them. Uh, next season and really for the rest of their lives. I mean, you don't forget stuff like this when you play at a level this high. Um, but like you said, it's time to move on. Um, there's really no point in continuing to analyze this game. It is what it is. It's in the past. And we're never going to see this team play basketball again, which sounds sad and sounds grim. But this is the beauty of college basketball is that things year there's some there's some moving pieces and it's exciting you know it's it's heartbreaking at times you have to watch guys that you really enjoyed playing leave the program um guys go and chase their dreams in the nba that's always exciting and it's exciting to root for them there um but this is college basketball so let's just go ahead and let's jump in to the 2021-2022 texas tag basketball team so right now the only confirmed returner, unless I'm mistaken, is Avery Benson, and the only confirmed addition is Jalen Tyson, and everything and everyone else right now should be considered up in the air, and that's how I kind of like to view things in the offseason is that, you know, nothing is ever going to play out exactly how we expect, and there's always going to be a surprise transfer or two or a surprise declaration or two. That's just the way the sport is, um, and obviously we don't know anything about who's going to stay or who's going to go. Um, and if we did, we wouldn't make that announcement on their behalf because this is one of the biggest decisions of their life and they deserve to make that announcement. Right now, we just want to make some predictions. Again, I cannot reiterate enough um, just that this is based on no reporting on either of our parts. Um, we're just making our best guesses and trying to predict where guys will end up. Um, so I guess let's just go ahead and answer the most important question in um, and that's who do you think will declare for the 2021 NBA draft and who do you think stays in it? Because that's a little bit of an interesting question. That's something that I'm going to kind of share in my answer. But Emery, I want to hear your thoughts first. Yeah, that's a very important distinction. I think you, first off, you have to look back in the history of tech players under Chris Beard. Um, declaring for the NBA draft and noticed that in one of those cases was Zach Smith. Uh, he declared for the draft, went to the combine, and then pulled out of the draft after the combine and came back for his senior year. So again, that's a policy the NCAA implemented about five years ago, and it's something that I think has really helped in terms of allowing players that have those ambitions to go play in the NBA to see kind of where they need to improve and what their kind of draft status is as of now without mortgaging the rest of their college future. And I think that in this case, I there is room for a couple of guys on Tech's roster to potentially declare for the draft in that fashion. But first off, I think one guy that I see declaring for the draft with an agent and going through the whole process is Terrence Shannon. I think depending on the big board and the draft analysts you see, you'll see him anywhere from the fringes of the first round to midway through the second round. And I think he's firmly entrenched in that range. I don't see much that would take him out of draftable range at this point. And certainly TJ put on a great show this season, despite having ankle injuries that hampered him. And despite at times maybe playing a role that he wasn't, that didn't necessarily fit what his pro role being, being more kind of a role player as opposed to the offensive initiator. 
But I do think that TJ is ready to make that jump. Obviously, I'm not going to speak on his behalf because, as you say, things can be unexpected, and this is purely off of speculation. But I could see him as being I think could benefit from going to the draft through going through the draft process, but not hiring an agent and then potentially coming back to college. And that would be first off Mac McClung and second off, I think Kevin McCullough would be a good fit for that. Now McClung is kind of the more obvious choice and one that tech fans have been speculating on recently. But I think he benefits from the opportunity to see kind of where his game can grow at the next level. And I'm not sure that he's at a draftable range now. I mean, there is the potential for him to sneak in maybe as a late second rounder, as a two-way style player. But I definitely think that getting to see that feedback will be something that helps out McClung. And it's certainly an avenue I could see him going for. The second guy is going to be Kevin McCuller. And I think with McCuller, it's more so about seeing the elements of his game and talking to next level scouts or whatnot and team representatives and seeing kind of where he needs to improve as a player because obviously he's kind of been a Swiss army knife for tech the last couple of years and he's developed his playmaking ability and obviously you're never going to question the hustle from McCuller but I do think maybe kind of getting getting a feel for that process seeing where he needs to improve on and being able to come back to tech for another year would be something that could really benefit him and I don't think I don't necessarily think that it's a guarantee or a given one way or the other, but certainly for a guy that has popped up at times on the draft radar, it could certainly be something that McCuller looks into and something that I could see him benefiting from. Yeah, I'm 100% with you. Um, And I like how you mentioned the rule change. I mean, there are actually two guys right now on Tech's roster who have declared for the draft and come back, and that was Marcus Santos Silva and Mac McClung. I mean, obviously last year, Mac McClung declared and then the entire Georgetown thing happened, right? Like Patrick Ewing thought he was going to stay in the draft and then he ended up transferring. But Marcus Santos Silva, from just what I understand of it, I don't want to speak for him, um, but when he declared last season, it was really to um, get information on how he could play this year that would make him uh, more draftable the year after And that is 100% what I think Kevin McCuller should do. In some basketball group chats that I'm in, it's called a toe dip, where you declare for the draft, you don't sign with an agent, and really you're not trying to get drafted. You're just trying to get intel on how to become a 100% thing that Kevin McCuller should do this. Um, You let your coach know, hey, I'm going to declare for the draft. I just want to hear what scouts are saying about me and how I can get better. Um, and I think that's exactly what Kevin McCullough should do because depending on his development next season, he could end up as a very, very high NBA prospect. I'm not talking top 10 or anything, but I think he could easily turn into a first round draft prospect, especially if the shot develops. Um, I'm going to end up being very, very high on him um, if he does come back another year. But I mean, hey, if he if he declares for the draft this offseason and he talks to somebody and they say, hey, if you're available at pick 51, we're, we're going to get you. He should absolutely do that, and he should go make millions of dollars because I don't know many people that have turned down million-dollar raises. Um, And then I'm with you on Terrence Shannon Jr. I do think that he is pretty much a lock um, to declare for the NBA draft and won't protect his eligibility. And in fact, I think he will go higher than Jemias Ramsey did, even though it's kind of flip-flopped right now. I, I mean, I think like a lot of national media was projecting Ramsey as like a top 30 pick. 
And I think right now Shannon's in like the mid forties that I've seen. I think I, he's in the mid forties at both the athletic and bleacher report. I'm not sure where he's at, um, at ESPN and with Schmitz right now. Um, but I do think that he will go higher than Ramsey did. And I believe Ramsey was drafted at 41, but I mean, Shannon, you're taking a flyer essentially on his shot and you're hoping that it does develop. It's much better than it was last season. He's up 10% and he's made a lot more threes than he did the season before. Um, But obviously the selling point is his defense. And that is going to be something that NBA teams are really excited about because everyone needs more talent at the wing and especially defensively. And then McClung, I also do see him declaring, um, but protecting his eligibility um, and I think he might stay in. I mean, I haven't seen him top 60. Um, but I do think that the NBA is probably a route that he's eyeing, um, whether that be, you know, like you mentioned, the two-way contracts and then the G League system. I mean, that's just the thing. Like, I just want to make something clear. And I've seen this a lot on, like, Facebook groups or in Twitter comments. And it's like, come back for another year and you'll be like a top five pick. And that's that's just not how these things work. And I mean, some of these guys are just ready to take the next step in their career. And if that's how it is, then we should absolutely be supportive of that. And then Marcus Santos Silva, he's also a, just kind of a coin flip for me right now. I'm not really sure where I stand with him. Um, I don't think that he can declare and back out. The rules changed because of COVID, and I'm not sure what it is now. I probably should have double-checked that, but I know that they did change the rules. So I'm not sure about how he can withdraw. It's something with the early declaration. I'm not exactly sure what it is, but I do think that um, if he does leave, he would probably be best off uh, pursuing an opportunity overseas. And I think he'd be a really good uh, player in uh, across the pond. So yeah, I mean, that that's where I stand on these guys right now. Obviously, that's just in terms of draft declarations. The transfer market, as we've already seen, it's going to be crazy this season. It's going to be loaded. I mean, the tournament's not even over, and there are plenty of guys that are waiting for their next step. And I guess, do you have any candidates on Texas Tech roster that you think could be transfers right now that are on the roster right now and could end up in the transfer portal? I mean, this is always something that I'm very careful of talking about because I think that you have to recognize that we don't understand 99.9% of what goes on over the course of a year for a player. I mean, we see, we'll see them play 30 games in a year, and then you see various spots of media availability, whether it be through press conferences or interviews or segments or whatever. And obviously you see little snippets that they post on social media or whatever, but you don't see the everyday activity of a player and you don't know you can have players that some might think really fit in well with the culture that end up not so much and decide to transfer and you might have players that you would think would be great transfer candidates that actually are fully committed to staying and continuing to develop within the system and at the school so I don't I'm not huge on making any definitive claims I think purely from a basketball perspective um, my gut instinct would say that I have a hard time seeing all four of the primary, primary ball handler guards staying for next year. That being Jamari Spurt and Clarence Donnelly, Kyler Edwards, and Mac McClung. I think that reasonably it would be interesting to suspect that at least one of those guys 
maybe it's McClung declaring for the draft and staying in, or maybe it's like Ndomi or Kyler or Burton deciding to go elsewhere. Um, maybe they decide to head out just because of the fit. Maybe you don't need that many ball handlers. And I certainly think, especially for a guy like Ndomi or Burton, not being able to have those PBH opportunities is something that could be a limiting factor for the basketball career at Tech. And I can see that happening. Um, obviously, either of those two common knowledge would say that Clarence only is maybe more entrenched in the program. But again, that's something that is very much a hypothetical. And I would also say the second side to that would be people, players that the coaching staff maybe mutually decides to move on from. And again, that's something that we don't know anything really that goes on behind closed doors. And so it's kind of hard to speculate on that. But certainly those are kind of the two avenues that would create transfers. So I think if we're going to, my most likely spot of transfer would be from the guard lineup. I also think potentially you could say in one of the bigs, whether that be Tyreek Smith or Vlad Golden, maybe there's something that comes up there and creates a transfer situation. Um, just kind of looking more so on the basketball fit side, because I don't really want to even get into the whole, like, oh, certain player X's family said this or player Y's family said that. But I am curious to see kind of how you see the situation. And if you agree kind of on my guard's opinion or just in general, kind of what you think schematically from a, um, basketball fit makes sense in terms of players going out and players staying in. Yeah, with you at looking at this through a basketball lens and not really incorporating any other factors, because quite frankly, I, I, I do not care. If, if one of these athletes wants to do something that they feel is the best move for them, then I am 100% supportive of that. They have that liberty, they have that choice, and they have that freedom, and they should absolutely do whatever they feel is best for them. So the last thing that I want to do is try and make it sound like we are projecting onto them, like what we think they should do, or if they're wrong for leaving like this team that we cover. No, that's like the last thing that I want to say or even suggest. We are 100% like supportive of the athletes. And I mean, once a Red Raider, always a Red Raider, right? Like let, let's live that. I don't want to be one of those fan bases that acts really nasty to the players that that leave and decide to take another opportunity for themselves. So, I mean, I don't mean to speak for you, Emery, but I'm 100% supportive no matter what happens with anybody on this roster. Um, just because, like, I'm a college student right now. I know how hard it is to do both school or, like, I just do school and work. I can't even imagine being an athlete and having to balance practices and things like that. Um, and so if they feel like they – they should go somewhere else and maybe there's another scheme or system that fits better for them or there's a coach that they know or they can be closer to their families. I'm 100% supportive of that and I will never ever um, say something negative about a player transferring. That's just my philosophy. I think you're on the same wavelength with me, but I definitely do agree with you in terms of just like the, the positions. Um, I do think that the guards is one that we'll have to monitor because I do think that this year it didn't exactly play out maybe how you wanted it to. Um, I do think that Jamarius Burton is probably the guy to watch there. I just think he he functions so well at Wichita State as kind of the lead initiator. And there's not really that at Texas Tech. That's just not really baked into their system is 
giving a guy the ball and letting them bring it up the court and then running the entire offense through them. The ball, the ball moves in Texas Tech system. Guys are cutting off ball. And so I do think that maybe that's one to watch. Um, just considering, you know, he didn't get as much playing time as I expected heading into the season. And obviously uh, his numbers were down in a lot of statistical categories. So I think that's one to watch. And then I agree with you in terms of the big men. Um, Vlad Golden and Tyreek Smith both didn't get very many minutes this season. Um, I think both of those guys are... Um, and then maybe even Chibuzo Agbo obviously got some run on the biggest stage of the year, but didn't exactly see consistent minutes throughout the year. But again, uh, we obviously just want what's best for everyone, um, and we want them to pursue their avenues um, to what they feel is best. But even outside of Texas Tech's roster, we don't know exactly what the roster is going to look like right for the portal. We don't know who is going to declare for the draft. So that makes it a little bit difficult. But I'm interested to hear if there's like an area or a position that you'd like to see Tech go to the transfer portal for this season and try and add some depth. I think for me, I look at it. That there's two real kind of philosophies you can look at when it comes to getting transfers. You can look at getting kind of best player available type of guys and then trying to fit them into your existing system. Or you can take places within your system that you need help with and selectively scout guys that you think that you can go after that would fit that mantra. And I think at times we've seen Chris Beard do a little bit of option A, a little bit of option B. I would certainly think Chris Clark was maybe one of the guys that Beard didn't necessarily recruit as a specific player within his system, but more so a really intriguing piece that could just kind of fit in in whatever way. And I think the last few years we've seen Tech kind of go after big men or lead guards on the transfer portal that would fit the system well, that would be good Texas Tech style players. And I think, again, that's something that we can look for this year. Someone that defends the perimeter well, that can drive, that can pass, kind of a triple threat on offense is always going to be someone that Chris Beard is going to cover or is going to cover or it's going to cover, excuse me. And I think in general, the guard, having guards that can, attack the rim is something that I could see Tech really looking at this offseason, considering with the the one thing with the Mac McClung, Kyler Edwards, Clarence Sedoni, and Jamarius Burton backcourt is, for the most part, none of those guys consistently were able to put good pressure on the rim. And as a team, that can kind of limit what you do offensively. And again, it's not necessarily a criticism of each of those four individual players, because all of them do things that make them valuable on the basketball court, but it is something where if you look at shortcomings of this team, the ability to attack the rim and generate opportunities, whether it be at the rim or kicking out to open shooters is something that's there. And I also think maybe going after a big, especially hinging on what Santos Silva decides to do, could be board with going after the traditional seven-foot big style of player. Um, I know there's been traction about a certain big man from UNC that um, people seem to really want to get, but I don't think that that's really a good fit, whether it be through Walker Kessler or through any big that's kind of that size that struggles with mobility, simply because Tech is a really demanding system on their bigs in terms of the what they require bigs to be able to do on the perimeter and from a team defense perspective. So 
I think having a more versatile big, one that can kind of set screens effectively, can move well defensively and can switch well, that's something I could see Tech going for. And then I guess finally, I know it's kind of a little bit of a cheesy thing, but anytime you can get a good knockdown shooter on your team that can also play defense, that's always something to look out for. So, I mean, it's going to be interesting. I'm curious to see kind of how you view that. And if you think Tech has like a list of sort of needs that they want to go after, or if they're just going to kind of go after X number of players and try and fit them in the system afterwards. Yeah, so I think right now the strategy is pretty much you're just reaching out to the best player available and you're trying to recruit talent because, I mean, we're already seeing Texas Tech reach out to a number of transfers, um, guys like Parker Fox um, and a few others that I've seen. I I can't remember all the names because there's so many. And, I mean, Chris Beard's aggressive this time of year. I'm with you. I love bigs who can space the floor and who can play on the perimeter defensively. Um, So if that is a guy like Parker Fox or a a guy like Trey Mitchell, I'd really enjoy to have on my team. I I saw something the other day that said that he had been contacted by 75 teams, which is pretty crazy. But, I mean, that just tells you how competitive the market is this time of year. Um, But I'm with you. I love those bigs who can kind of stretch and who you can maybe play like 25-ish minutes a game. I mean, we've usually seen Texas Tech, like traditional bigs, like Odiase and Santo Silva play around 20. Um, but I think if you can get like 25 out of them, that'd be a huge success. Um, and I think you can do that if you have a guy that spaces the floor. And then I'm also really big on just adding like more two-way perimeter players, whether that be, you know, like kind of like a secondary playmaker, um, just because you're so wealthy um, in terms of initiators and primary ball handlers right now, that I'd be really interested to see a guy who's not necessarily like a dribble first guy, but who you can play off the ball and also can play some defense. I think that's going to be really interesting. Um, but I am just really excited to see how they build this team and what happens from here. Because, I mean, you're talking about returning some very talented pieces, regardless of what happens this offseason. And then, I mean, obviously you have Jalen Tyson coming to town, a guy that I am very high on, a guy that I think can be one of the best peer scorers in college basketball next season, depending on how things shape up. Um, but I'm very excited to see him in Lubbock and see whatever team um, is coming next. So obviously this puts an end on our 2020 to 2021 coverage. It was really fun. I mean, I really enjoyed breaking down this team through all the highs, through all the lows. It was good stuff. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed talking about it and taking a look at it. As for us, we're going to take a little bit of a break from weekly episodes, um, at least until the end of the tournament. Um, the national championship game is on April 5th, and it may not be weekly episodes consistently after that. But if there is any news within the program, um, such as like draft declarations, guys going into the transfer portal, if, or if they get anyone from the transfer portal, we'll probably do like a short little episode, maybe around 30 minutes, just to break down those moves um, as at a time that's convenient for the both of us. I know we're both kind of enjoying a little bit of a break right now from from a really busy time in both of our lives. Um, but once we separated ourselves a little bit from the busy newsy cycle thing um, of the off season with these declarations and additions, we do have some fun plans to do some like player reviews and breakdowns from the past season. Maybe we'll do like some best games or best wins, um, something like that. Um, but it's going to be really interesting to see 
what content we put out over the next few months. I know that we have some really exciting things planned, and I think that you all will enjoy it. So that's really all I have today. Um, But thank you for listening. Emery, is there anything that you want to say before we get out of here a little bit early? Uh, Not really. It's been a fun season to cover tech basketball, and I'm excited to see how the offseason goes. Obviously, it was very unfortunate to end the season after his two tournament games, but I think that Arkansas squad was really good, and I think you can take pride in keeping that a close game. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I'm excited to see how it evolves. Also excited to get a little bit of a break from – covering basketball every few days and covering game game to game, even though it was a really fun season to cover. And the last thing that I want to say is just a happy birthday to one of my favorite players in recent memory, that being Davide Moretti, a.k.a. the best shooter in Big 12 history. Um, currently having a great season or had a great season over in Europe, and I am forever thankful for how Davide was able to perform on those tech teams. So yeah, that's all for me. Yeah. Shout out to Davide. Great shooter, great player, great guy. I'm always a guy that we're going to be monitoring and rooting for. Um, Just exciting guy. Very nice guy. Um, But yeah, that's all we have. We will be back to you at a time that neither of us know, which I personally am really excited for. Excited to be lazy for a little bit um, and watch some basketball without necessarily thinking of it through an analysis mindset. So thank you all for listening. Again, if you could, just doing the rounds. If you could subscribe wherever you listen and leave a review wherever you listen, it'd really help us out. And then also feel free to hit our DMs, either my personal, Emery's personal, or uh, the podcast account. All three are listed in the description of every single episode, give us a DM. Tell us what you want to hear about. Uh, we're going to need ideas. It's it's eight months of no basketball. Um, so we'd love to hear from you, the fans, on what you want to hear. And we would be happy to bring it to you. Um, as long as it's not like me singing or something. So I promise no one wants to hear that. Um, but again, this has been Ryan Mainville and Emery Lida. We'll be back when there's news.